This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Welcome to the Raptors Weekly Extra Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Uh, yes, I know you just got a Raptors Weekly Podcast yesterday from Will and Zarrar, but Will and I uh, got our wires crossed figuring out the weekly podcasts for the offseason, and we didn't want to let this one sit too long, so you get two this week. Uh, that's, you know, that's lucky you. If you if you still, in mid-June, want two Raptors podcasts in the same week when they don't have a draft pick uh, and they don't have a head coach hired... You know, here, here you go, and uh, appreciate how hardcore you are, because we certainly didn't want to do two of them. Uh, we do have a special guest today to to change things up and to get into what I think will be a really informative uh, kind of preview that can stand for the next 10 days or so. 10 days, 21 days. It's not as late in June as I thought. As we head into free agency, uh, joining me is Daniel Hackett of Raptors HQ, uh, D Hackett fifteen sixty five on Twitter. Um, he is one of the best uh, salary cap guys uh, covering the Raptors. Uh, his work is great in general um, from the the analytics side and the data side, but specifically this time of year when we're talking cap scenarios, uh, Dan's work really shines. Dan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Did I get your Twitter handle right? D Hackett fifteen sixty five. That's right. Okay, perfect. Okay, do you want to? What's the fifteen sixty five? Uh, it's a very uh, geeky answer. Uh, in high school, I was on, I don't know if anybody's heard of the first robotics competition, but there was a, basically it's, you get a handful of high school students together and they build a robot and it goes very poorly. But, uh, anyway, they, they hand out team name, team numbers. And the number we ended up with was 1565. So at some point in high school, when I was making up a username, I threw the 1565 on there and it just has stuck ever since. Yeah. That's, uh, that's better than the backstory behind, Behind the the little suffixes on on my emails and Twitter handles, so 
Um, it, now, when you say a robot, was it just like a like? My mind Im- immediately went to like battle bots. Like you've got this this robot no, yes. that has a flamethrower hooked up to it. And you're just <laughs> messing up other robots. Kind Last of like robot that, except for here. yeah, not not as awesome as that. No, okay. there was like each competition is essentially like a sporting event. So they'd come up with a uh, a game or something that the robots had to play. Ours was there was these. Uh, the, there were these tetrahedral shapes that you had to be able to lift up and put on top of a pole sort of thing. And it was a almost like a sports competition where you'd have teams of these robots competing to get more points. Now, it's crazy that the NBA has just developed uh, a very advanced version of that, which is just LeBron James, where he picks up a basketball <laughs> and puts it, in a, puts it through a hoop instead of on a pole over and over again uh, with robotic yeah. efficiency and consistency. It works a lot better in Toronto so for some reason than... Uh, other places. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> man, the fact that like obviously we don't need to talk about LeBron very much on this podcast. I think Will and Zarrar covered most of the end of season wrap, but LeBron going seven with Indiana, going seven with uh, Boston, and getting swept by the Warriors, but managing to sweep the Raptors is yeah. uh, you know that's a kick in the teeth. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, does that? You know, I've been asked this a couple times in mailbags, and I don't feel too strongly about it, but. Does the way the rest of Cleveland's playoff run, uh, the way that played out, does that change anything for you in terms of how you're looking at the Raptors, how you're looking at their offseason? I mean, I don't know that it changes that. I mean, if, for example, if Cleveland had swept everybody in the East, maybe it looks a little different. But honestly, like being swept by them two years in a row and the way they got swept, I don't know that there's any real servo lining to that. <laughs> Yeah. Regardless of how the rest of the playoffs goes, yeah, I, I would agree with you, and I'm very much in the mind of, especially at least at the very least when like your core is locked in. We'll talk about the different scenarios ahead of the Raptors this offseason, but especially in a case where you don't really have an eject button built in, you kind of just have to worry about you and not how things went for other teams. And you know, this core right now is in a position where they don't have much choice but to maximize this group the best they can, at least for one more year. Uh, so, you know, what else Cleveland did and where LeBron James might go doesn't really have a material impact uh, on the way the Raptors will play play things out from here. Uh, it does, you know, it hurts a little bit more. Everyone uh, <laughs> everyone made the Cavs look like the Cavs of 82 games, except for the, the Toronto Raptors. So, awesome. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, Dan, the last couple of years over at Raptors HQ, uh, where, you know, the Raptors HQ is a whole thing. There's, you know, bringing a Raptors HQ person on the podcast is, it's a little, it's a little out there. Uh, Anna demanded that we do this though, so we have to do it. Um, and at least you look, as far as bringing Dan's on from Raptors HQ, we could have picked a worse stand, right? <laughs> that is the, uh, the meme. Yeah. Um, no, but, uh, the last couple of years you've done this series, the, the sliding door series. And it's, a uh, it's a great series where you kind of tee up the, the off season and look at the different, uh, kind of doors the Raptors could go through and, and the different scenarios that could be ahead of them. Um, I think, you know, this year is a little less interesting than last year where they had four kind of marquee free agents uh, and it looked like they needed to shed salary but also add pieces um, and that they would be aggressive. But there were these giant question marks and Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka and P.J. Tucker and Patrick Patterson. Uh, do you feel, maybe not more certain in the specifics of what's going to happen, but a little more certain in the path that the Raptors are going down here three weeks out from free agency? Um, it's weird. I should feel more certain about this year, but I think I feel significantly less certain than I did 
last year and even the year before. Um, the last couple of years, they've had a lot more free agents and especially question marks around those free agents. Uh, in 2016, there was Biombo who was going to free agency who was, played a big role uh, in that playoff run to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they didn't really have a mechanism to bring him back unless they really shook things up. Um, so there was a big question mark there, and then there was the big question of DeMar DeRozan's free agency and just how much does he earn and are they willing to shell that out? Um, and then last year, like you say, there was all those, those four free agents that and this massive tax bill looming um, <clears throat> that was going to be really interesting to navigate. But in both off seasons, I kind of had a I felt like I had a good feel that, OK, the team's definitely going to keep going in the direction they're going in. There's some pretty obvious things they can't do. They probably can't bring Biombo back. There's pretty obvious things they're going to do. You know, Larry, DeRozan, Ibaka all seem like no brainers to me. Um, then the only real question last year was, you know, what do they do with Patterson and Tucker and do they shed a little bit of salary here or there? Um, but you know, the general direction seemed really obvious. Uh, this year, the general direction in terms of the easy path to take is still really obvious. Um, but with them firing Casey, which is something that I honestly didn't think that I would see them do, uh, I feel like I'm thrown for a loop. Like, oh, maybe maybe anything can happen now. And uh, they really could pivot and move a core piece, for example, where I didn't see that happening the last couple of off-seasons. Yeah, I'm with you in terms of, you know, I think I think very much, obviously, you know, a team approaches every off-season looking at every potential option to get better. I think this is the first one where they're legitimately considering – you know, does one of the two core pieces, obviously, you know, you can look at it as Lowry and DeRozan have been the core. You can look at it as Lowry, DeRozan, Casey. If you want to throw Valanciunas in there since he's been there this whole time, um, that would be fair as well. But I think this is the first time where it's like, okay, maybe one of Lowry or DeRozan could go and they still, you know, maybe not. Look, this this core is not going to be a championship contender uh, the way things – like, the Warriors are still going to exist. LeBron is going to go somewhere. Boston and Philly are, are on the upswing. You know, there's Houston. There's there, – there are a number of reasons the Raptors – you know, there's a reason Zach Lowe's taking a shot at the Raptors in his end-of-season Cavs <laughs> column uh, about what kind of contender they are. But, you know, it also wouldn't make a lot of sense to half-blow this up, accidentally win low 30s games, end up with Terrence Ross as your reward for tanking again. Um, you know, I love Terrence Ross, but after a, a tanked season, one that I had season tickets for because I wasn't in the media yet, by the way, uh, Ben Uzo, damn it. Um, yeah, so, you know, I don't know if they could bottom out quite enough, uh, given that you'd take back a lot of average players, probably, if you were to dump Lowry, DeRozan, Ibaka uh, to make salaries match. Uh, but yeah, I, I do agree that this is probably the first time that I think you know, maybe Lowry or DeRozan or another piece could go and the Raptors still mostly push in the same direction. And I think, you know, I think there are a lot of complications with moving DeMar DeRozan because of what he's meant to the franchise, because of what a terrific person he is off the court, uh, because he was the first star that wanted to stay multiple times. Uh, but I think they'll explore that. They've, you know, they've quietly explored it at times in the past. Uh, and I think now... You know, you saw once again, even with DeRozan taking this enormous step forward, that he was still a bit of an on-off impact issue, a bit of a spacing issue on offense, and a defensive issue come playoff time. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't put it past DeRozan to come back even better again next year. Uh, a new coach may use him differently. That usage rate maybe comes down. Maybe there's more accountability on the defensive end. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's on the table. I think, you know, I don't know if Kyle Lowry would return what's worth 
trading Kyle Lowry, given how, how good he is, still is from an impact perspective. Uh, but I think all of these things are things they'll, they'll look at, and I think they make for interesting thought experiments, at least this far out, even if I think, you know, the most likely scenario, if you're laying them all out, is probably that most of the pieces are back and they're tweaking on the periphery because trades are hard, especially with, with high salaries in a summer where few teams have cap space. Um, but we're going to go through these because, you know, like I said, they're a good thought experiment and we kind of want, want to turn over all these these stones and see what might be there. So uh, the first the first kind of door I want to open for you, Dan, it's the one that I know some Raptors fans are in favor of. Um, I think if they went this route, you would have seen a different coach get the head coaching job than the ones that are rumored to be the finalists, which are uh, Torre Messina and Nick Nurse. Um, can the Raptors do a rebuild? Uh, should they? What would this look like? You know, I mentioned earlier, they don't really have uh, an escape hatch on this core, but do you see any scenario in which the Raptors are like, you know what, this this is it. We, we've banged our head against the walls enough. We're not going to get full value for these guys, but we need to go in a different direction and prepare ourselves for a different timeline down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. I think that if they decide that they want to be bad, they're not really going to be bad for next season, no matter what they do. Right. Um, but if they do decide, look, we're going to be bad two or three seasons from now, maybe we'd see if the value of our guys is highest now rather than waiting. Um I imagine with DeMar DeRozan in particular, as much as it's great to have him on the team, his value is probably at its highest with two years on his contract second rather team, than one year. Second team All-NBA, too, which... I mean, that helps. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it, it helps. You know, I, I've got asked this a couple times, and I got asked it about Fred Van Vliet being in a six-man finalist and stuff, too. I don't think that matters much in terms of how teams materially evaluate players, but I think if you're a GM who needs a splash or is trying to sell a trade to a fan base and maybe a high pick or a, a well-liked prospect is going out, you know, those those kind of things matter because as much as, you know, the... You the can hardcore, put it on the press release. Yeah, exactly. And as much as hardcore Raptors fans know the ins and outs of DeRozan's game, I would imagine there's a big part of the NBA um, fan base in general that sees, hey, four-time All-Star in a row, averages 27 points a game, um, you know, he was second team all NBA and, and that's meaningful. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to evaluate things through the PR lens, but that exists for people making those actual decisions to some degree. Sure. And, uh, in any case, he's, he's young enough that I think his value still lies in his ability to contribute on the contract that he has. Yes. Like he, that's, that's a, he's a 20 plus easily point per game scorer. That's the sort of thing. Just over $25 million a year, that's a pretty good deal in this NBA. Even defensive issues aside, NBA teams pay for that sort of production. So there's probably going to be landing places for him if you want to sell him for value now. Um, Larry and Abaka, well, let's not group them together. <laughs> Larry <laughs> is fantastic, but has always been, I think, probably of greater value to the team than he's ever been in a trade. And I think that's probably even more so since he signed that big contract. Um, so it'd be tough to get a, a decent return for him and he might be, uh, might be better off waiting until he's a rental next season to get a good return for him just so that teams don't have to take on two years of that 30 plus million dollar, uh, price tag. Yeah. And, and then uh, teams can see how he's aging a little bit better as well, right? Yeah. There's less risk there, uh, on the other side, um, and then, and again, one more one more off season away means a few more teams with the cap space. The cap's supposed to rise a little bit. 
it's just a little easier to find a landing place for uh, a salary that big. Um, yeah, and, and then, then you, you mentioned Abaca, and oh boy, would it be would it be <laughs> lovely to find a home for that contract? Uh, as useful as Abaca still is as a player, um, clearly in terms of production versus contract, that's the biggest outlier on the cap sheet. Yeah. So yeah, and it's tough because you know he's just had an awful playoffs that everybody got to see, and uh, so that's tough to sell. Um, Valanciunas is the same in the sense that. He's a center in a league that doesn't want to pay for centers. He has a smaller but similar contract to Ibaka, and at the same time also has a lovely little player option in the second year, which is always a downside, because if you trade for a player, you don't want him to opt out if he's good and opt in if he's bad. Um, So it's tough to see a landing spot for him, uh, in my opinion, as well. Um, The other thing about trading these big contracts now is over the next two seasons, the Raptors are looking at a significant tax bill this year and an astronomical tax bill next year. (laughs) Hmm. Um, So when you want to make a trade with big money players and get value back for them, usually that means you're bringing back a bunch of dead salary to match what you're sending out, which means the Raptors would be lining themselves up for the next two seasons to be mediocre to bad and paying one of the bigger tax bills in the league. Um, and if they want to not pay the tax bill, then they're going to have to take back less value so that another team with salary cap space or with non-guaranteed contracts or one thing or another uh, can send back something to help them cut their tax bill rather than asset value. Right, and this is where, you know, this is an underrated part of deals, I think, sometimes. You look back to last deadline, for example, and... You know, it's it's Andrew Nicholson uh, and a first um, for for Bogdanovich, for example, where taking on Nicholson is as big a part of that deal. Um, you know, I might be remembering the specifics of that incorrectly, but and then Nicholson, oh, right. yeah, and then Nicholson's ultimately stretched, um, which eats up cap for for multiple years. Um, so yeah, you, you have to you have to value that cap space. And teams like you look at the Hawks, you could have I think something close to thirty million in cap space this summer uh, when you know they don't have a real means to be competitive. They can kind of use that cap space like the Nets did uh, last summer and like okay, we'll take on your bad salary, but who's willing to give us the best asset? And, and in the Nets case, they picked up a first and a second to take on Damari Carroll, who recuperated his value enough that they might be able to sell Damari Carroll now in a contract year for another asset. Um, yeah. So I, I would, like, if, if the Hawks are smart, to me, that's how they'd use that cap space rather than trying to make a splash. Um, so, you know, that's the that's the situation you get in where, say, you know, say, like you said, they, they say they blow it up and they're trying to unload these guys. You know, do you want to take back Wesley Matthews' deal? Do you want to take back Chandler Parsons' deal? Do you loop in a third team where they take on those bad deals? You take back a little bit money, a little bit less money, but then you're getting less back for these guys. Um, it, it's tough, and you mentioned that next summer it's probably a little easier to make these kind of moves uh, because teams should have more cap space and a little bit more flexibility. So, um, you know, quickly. If the Raptors hit the hit the eject button on this and Lowry DeRozan Ibaka, maybe Valanciunas all go, do you think this has been kind of a, an argued point on Raptors Twitter a little bit as we run through hypotheticals? Do you think they could be bad enough to to be a proper tanking team, or is this like they they'd be a fringe playoff team one year and then as they continue to build it break it down? 
they'd be bad-ish the next year. But there's enough young talent, you bring back enough average players and blowing it up that, that they couldn't properly bottom out. Yeah, I I, I think, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago, they could probably have gotten to be a tanking team. But right. the last little while, tanking is a profession in the NBA now. Teams have it down to a science. I don't think this <laughs> – I think this team has too much young quality depth to it uh, that, A, I doubt they can move all four of the core pieces. No, there's just uh, not like that, that much cap space and need there's around 30, the league. There's, there's 30 teams in this league. There's no way four of them are looking at the Raptors and saying, yes, I want a piece of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after these playoffs. Um so it's real tough to see all four of them happening, especially because a couple of them probably need draft assets attached to them yeah. to get rid of them. And, I mean, um, we group Jonas Valanciunas in here because of his salary. Um, I think that's a guy you could justify keeping still if you were rebuilding because, you know, he's young-ish. And, young-ish. Younger than yeah. DeLon Wright. <laughs> yeah. And, and Biggs, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to think of because we think of Biggs, like, needing that bounciness and explosiveness so much around the rim. But in general, the aging curve for centers is a little later than the aging curve at every other position. So, yeah. um, who knows? Valanciunas, you know, the, that 2010's in there still, maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just give him the minutes, man. Give him yeah. the minutes. Um, well, hey, look, the, man, uh... If, uh, if Nick Nurse, I, I got to dive into the, you know, the numbers of what a Torre Messina's Europe teams look like. But I know, I know Nick Nurse has some creative ideas for how to use centers in playmaking roles. Yeah, I think uh, Messina's got a reputation for using his bigs. He's uh, he's big into inside-out play, so I think yeah. uh, I think that would be a good thing to have a solid center for. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about the coaching thing, but one thing I've had trouble with, it, I mean, it's, it's really tough to evaluate coaches who have never been NBA head coaches in general uh, with sure. the limited information that we have. But Messina, like, the last time he was a head coach was like five years ago and it was in Europe. And yeah. you know that's that's a tough thing to extrapolate. It's like Nick Nurse. Like we know we know that the Raptors' offense has been run-ish by him, but we don't know what he would do if he had the reins, right? And Will yeah. and I talked about this on a podcast a couple weeks ago, where you know it's hard, not hard maybe, but it, there's a there's nuance in separating a person's job description from how they'd run their own team, right? So um, oh, yeah, for sure. Messina being big oriented, you know, a concern with Budenholzer when he was rumored is that. Uh, his offensive system in Atlanta relied on playmaking bigs a lot. Um, if Messina is going to go more, you know, inside out uh, or passing from the block or whatever, maybe that's a little more, maybe that's a little more tenable. Um, I don't know. If Nick Nurse stays, I, I think Bebe should stay. <laughs> I, I know. I know that. I went into this podcast knowing that you're not going to give me any scenario in which Lucas Nogueira stays, and I'm not. I'm not happy about it. I think I think if they tore it down, they, then Bebe could stay. I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, then you could if he signs a qualify <laughs> offer. Who cares? But there you go. Yeah. Um, okay. So rebuilding in one year pretty unlikely. I know there are some fans who want to do that. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Next scenario is the potato GM. It's the other extreme. If your potato, if a potato was your general manager, and this is something that pension plan puppets on SB Nation have done on the Maple Leaf side forever, and it's a great thing. It's basically you evaluate your team your team or your GM's performance against what a potato would do. And what a potato would do is nothing. In the Raptors' case, that would mean everyone's back except for Fred Van Vliet and Lucas Noguera. Uh, I assume the potato would fill the roster out with minimum contracts because, you know, otherwise you're sitting there with cap holds and, and even a potato doesn't want to have 
dead money on the cap for for just roster holds. So um, is that you know what is that what does that situation look like to you? Is that at all possible given how hard it is to maybe trade some of these guys and what Fred Van Vliet's free agency might look like? I think it could happen. I'm pretty sure they are madly in love with Van Vliet and don't want that to happen. Same. Uh, same. <laughs> everybody, every Raptors fan and every Raptors employee. Yeah. Um, but also, it's it's possible. I mean, first of all, there is a chance, however slim, that some team comes up with a silly offer for Van Vliet where they backload a ridiculous amount of money. Um because of Van Vliet's uh, contract status, he can only get the mid-level exception for the first two seasons. But then after that, uh, teams, if they have the cap space, can offer huge amounts of money um, because of something called the Gilbert Arenas provision. Um, and uh, so there's a possibility that happens. And the Raptors, you know, if they're looking at like 20 million plus in the latter years of that contract, they might bulk at that regardless of how much they want him back. Um, but even if that doesn't happen, uh, if they can't find a landing place for one of these big salaries, they might not want to pay the tax uh, for Van Vliet. Uh, Van Vliet's contract probably comes in at most about eight and a half million this year, uh, but that works out to about twenty-five million additional taxes as well, uh, with how far into the luxury tax they are. So I think there's a pretty good chance that they just can't find a landing place for any of the big salaries, and they're stuck letting Van Vliet walk if the money doesn't make sense. I'm not happy about that, Dan. No, I'm not particularly happy about it either. Uh, I, okay. I think I think they'll find a spot for for a salary and keep them, yeah. but there's a chance that they don't. Yeah, there's there's one specific spot I see for a salary, and and I think you and I have the same idea about it. We're going to get into in the next scenario. Um, one uh, question about Van Vliet's potential restricted free agency. Um, we talked about how the market, not a lot of teams figured out cap space. The restricted free agent market for non max restricted free agents um, and non center restricted free agents has been. Tough to peg down the last couple of years, but it hasn't been super friendly in general. You look at Van Vliet, you look at the teams that have cap space, as much as we've all come to like Van Vliet, um, you know, sometimes guys carry with them their reputation entering the draft, and that doesn't go away after two years. Do you think it's possible that um, a, because a team doesn't want to use their powder, say, to sign Van Vliet to a starting level or fringe starting level contract, um, that his market is cooler than expected and... You know, one thing I've come back to a little bit in my head, and, I, and I, it's not the best thing for Van Vliet, and I want him to get every cent, but I could see the market playing out in a way where maybe the big money four-year deal isn't there. Um, could you see something like a two-year 12 or two-year 14 that kind of lowers the back end, like it avoids the back end for the Raptors, but also bridges Van Vliet to unrestricted free agency at the earliest possible moment? Yeah, I kind of. I, I would be really surprised if the Raptors offered that. Um, I think the value in getting Van Vliet locked down is long term. I think right. if they it's, give him money now, after Lowry, they want to have him for four years. If they give him money, they want four years. Because if 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 he can't find an offer, um, which has to be multiple years if he take, signs an offer sheet. Right. If he can't find an offer sheet that's seven million a year, then the Raptors have no reason to offer him seven million dollars a year. Right. I mean, if he if he takes, for example, his qualified offer, he's restricted next year anyway. His qualified so Raptors, offer, by the way, is one point seven million. Um, oh yes. He, yeah, he's not. Matthew Vadova is the only is the only name I could think of that ever picked up their QO for the third year and became a restricted free agent again in the fourth. Um, and that was basically because I think he botched his botched reading the market. Yeah, and a lot of that. Uh, 
it, it depends on the market. So the market has been so wacky lately that it's possible that Fred does not get the offers that he's expecting. Um, and it could be that he decides that rather than settle for, say, if somebody offers the tax mid-level, so a three-year, 18 million-ish sort of uh, total, uh, if he thinks he's better off to hit free agency next year when there's a lot more cap space and wants to you know, bet on himself, he could opt into that. Uh, he could pick up that qualifying offer. Um, I think it's much more likely he signs a, a three- or four-year term with the Raptors. Um, I mean, even if the best he can find out there in terms of an offer sheet is the tax mid-level, maybe the Raptors say, look, we'll give you the tax slightly slightly less than that, but with a player option on the fourth year in case things go bad sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of security, um, and we'll just bank on it being a three-year uh, because you're, you're definitely going to opt out because you're great yeah. sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, I, I could I could definitely see the market playing out that way. Uh, I'm sure that the Raptors are really hoping it plays out that way, that he ends up coming back on a suppressed sub-mid-level deal. Um, but again, it all it takes is one team, and there's right. a lot of teams sitting in that middle ground between the tax and the cap right this year that are going to have that mid-level exception. So they decide they want uh, to take a swing on a guy who might be a starting point guard uh, for the mid-level. Is That's pretty good value, so... Yeah, uh, that's uh, I, I'm with you. I don't, you know, I've kicked around, you know, sub mid level deals that that he could possibly end up back in Toronto on, and, and everyone I look at it, and you know, I don't know how much of this is kind of the endowment effect. Not that Van Bleep is mine, but like I've watched him for two years. <laughs> you know, he was a guy that identify that I identified. You know, after that draft, I was like, he, I think he was at the top or second on my top of undrafted guys. I'd like to see the Raptors go after. Um, so, and then obviously Raptors fans have gotten to see a lot more of them than other teams who might see, or other fan bases who might look and say, well, eight points, three assists, like even with a good three point shot, what's going on here? Um, but yeah, I, am skeptical that he doesn't get an offer from at least one team. I kind of have it in my head. You know, I think when I've been penciling in, um, and, and playing around with different scenarios, like six and a half to seven and a half million, is what I've been, and even that might be a little conservative. What have you What have you been using as you you estimate through it? Honestly, I've sort of been it's 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 I've polarized it. I think he's either getting the full mid level. I don't see why a team would throw seven million at him. Okay. If they're trying to pry him away as a restricted right, what, what is the rest of the mid level worth to you if you're leaving? I mean, one and like half million on it. If you leave one and a half, that gives you room to sign a a, a second, second round draft pick for a few years, which is nice to have, but uh, more likely is since he's a restricted free agent, teams are going to try to outprice the Raptors in all likelihood. In which case, if they have the mid level, they're going to throw it at him, and if they only have the tax mid level, they're going to throw that at him. So I think he's either signing for about six million a year or about nine million a year. I don't think there's much middle ground. But I mean, you know, with my luck, he'll sign for exactly seven and a half. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the difference. Yeah, I. Uh... Yeah, I guess I guess the one way he could come in in between is if the Raptors come correct with a day one offer that takes yeah. the uncertainty of that situation out of it. It's like, look, we're protecting ourselves against the full mid level offer. We're protecting you against only getting the mini mid level offer. You know, here's seven million a year, right? Like, here's a four twenty eight out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's and, definitely a possibility. Yeah, and I do think they'll make a they'll make a competitive day one offer. I don't think they want Van Vliet, who's bet on himself at every turn you know, feeling like he needs to explore what's out there. And, um, you know, unfortunately that might mean 
trying to unload salary after the fact when your leverage is a little less because teams know you need to unload it and they know exactly what the, the dollar amount of such a deal is worth to you. Yeah. But this is where we get into the third scenario, which is between the rebuild and the run it back scenarios where, you know, most of this core is back and they're still roughly the same level of competitive, but things are different. And we talked about some potential trades of stars and we'll get into more specifics about that. Uh, the, the, Primary thing I want to ask you though, and I think we're, I think we're on the same page here. I'll kick myself if we're not. But the one salary that seems potentially um, movable because of a little cap quirk to me is Norman Powell. Are you are you looking at this window between now and July first and keeping Norman Powell in mind um, as you play out the these scenarios? Oh yeah, yeah. That's my that's been my my uh, really neat contract situation for this year is, is Norman yeah. Powell's tradability going yeah, to the draft. So, so explain to people, because I don't think people realize that, you know, the, the Raptors haven't had a situation like this in a while. Um, I think some people assume that either Norman Powell is untradable until July 1st, or he's subject to the poison pill provision that we saw with Terrence Ross and Jonas Valanciunas, but neither of those things are correct. Yeah, uh, it's actually something I'm pretty sure the Raptors have never had before. It's kind of a quirk of the new CBA. It's pretty rare for these sort of extensions to happen for players on their uh, on a minimum contract like that, because uh, it's usually coming off of a, a rookie style uh, contract. You know, the first contract you sign, that's when you get your big raise when that runs yeah. out. And then your poison um, pill. And then you poison pill if you're a first round draft pick. Um, in the, even the case of second round picks, though, usually the big raise comes after their first contract. And usually you can't extend on a on a second round pick's first contract um, because you have to have you have to sign your extension three full years after signing the contract. And almost universally, second round picks tend to be signed to two or three year contracts, which means you never hit that point where you can extend. This CBA changed it to only a two year gap between when you sign and you can extend, so that changed the whole equation. So Powell's, I'm pretty sure, the first guy in Raptors history to sign a contract like this. Um, so the difference being that technically, because he's a second-round draft pick, um, he, this extension that he signed is considered a veteran extension, It's it's which is basically a description for any extension that's not of a rookie-scale first-round draft pick contract. It's, it's a lovely wording quirk where a guy in his fourth-year extension is a rookie extension, and a guy yeah. coming off his second year is a veteran extension. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, Exactly. Just just as confusing as they intended to be, I'm sure. Um, in any case, basically what it allowed – the Raptors were able to do, they were allowed to extend him to, for up to just above the average salary. Um, and because they extended him to a four-year deal, um, that falls outside the limits of what you're allowed to um, – allowed to extend a player to in an extend and trade transaction, which essentially is, you know, sort of like a sign and trade where if the player wants to go to a different team, you can sign them to an extension and trade them at the same time. Uh, anytime you fall outside the limits of that sort of transaction, then you're not allowed to trade the player for six months after you extend them. And you're also not allowed to extend them for six months after you trade them. Um, so well, that that's meant why that Norm was, couldn't be moved at the trade deadline. So we couldn't move him all season ever after he signed the extension uh, in the fall. Um, but then those six months ran up before the uh, season was over. Um, so once the Raptors were eliminated from the playoffs, Powell was tradable again. Um, and because he's not a rookie scale contract, he doesn't have that poison pill effect, which is um, it makes salary matching much more difficult. Uh, the team receiving the player has to be able to absorb the average salary of the entire extension instead of the current low salary of the player. 
But in Powell's case, that doesn't happen. So he's currently making just under $1.5 million. So even though he makes an average of $10.5 million per year on his extension, any team we trade him to now only has to match that $1.5 million current salary. So the neat quirk about this is if a team – and there's a lot of these teams. If this team's going into this offseason saying we're capped out, we want to improve our team, but we only have one – basically one mid-level exception to use to add, con- add a contract, Norman Powell could essentially be a free second mid-level signing if they consider him worth that sort of money because he's making just above the mid-level exception. So, right. so, so uh, in this scenario, if the Raptors wait until July 1st and they send out Norman Powell, he counts for $9.36 million. The Raptors would have to take back salary. Because the Raptors are over the cap, they would have to take back salary um, within 25% of that. Uh, so the Raptors would have to take back, say, $7 million, whatever the number works out to. On draft night, if they send out $1.5 million or $1.47 million, which is Powell's, um, you know, you could take a minimum deal back. You can't trade. You can't trade anyone who's a free agent this coming summer. Um, but you could take a minimum deal back, or you know, some teams might even have a, a trade exception to take Norman Powell into where the Raptors don't have oh, to yeah. take anything back. But draft uh, considerations or the draft rights to Daniel Hackett, who, whoever the this <laughs> draft rights, you know, the the other team's version of DeAndre Hewlett or Tomislav Zucic. Right. Um, yeah. So there was actually a uh, there was actually an Italian basketball player named Daniel Hackett that uh, that I was really rooting for the Raptors to draft one year. Damn, uh, back in like 2012 or something. Damn, he did fight. not get drafted. <laughs> no, that would be uh, that, that would have been very confusing. Uh, yes. probably probably good for Raptors HQ's SEO though. When uh... I got a, I got a, I got a few very confused Italian basketball followers on Twitter that uh, I had to explain that I was not. Uh, <laughs> I was not that basketball player. Yeah, so I my name is Blake Murphy. Obviously, um, there was for a while a WWE tag team called Blake and Murphy, like two guys whose last names were Blake and Murphy. Uh, and I was getting like threats regularly about how <laughs> this guy's gonna kick your ass, this guy's gonna take your title. People DMing me, talking shit to me. <laughs> so I feel your pain, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I don't think mine was quite to that extent, yeah. but yeah, it still happens, and they haven't been a tag team for like. A year and a half. It's impressive. No, it's uh, it's it's past its expiry date. Um, so anyway, right. Norm, Norm Powell. Um, in this scenario, obvious from everything I gather, the Raptors would love to get into the draft uh, this year. It's not an elite draft, but it's a pretty good draft. Uh, They're going to have some roster spots to fill that they need to do so cheaply. Uh, they'd love to. They'd love to get in. Scouting ha- and player development has been such a strength for them the last couple of years. They'd like to get in. Um, they have 5.1 million in cash that every team can send out and receive uh, in a given cap year. The Raptors haven't touched that yet, so they could buy a second round pick. Um, you know, Jordan Bell costs 3.5 million, as Jordan Bell is very apt to let you know, uh, <laughs> especially now that he's an NBA champion. Um, but. You know, Norman Powell is there as well. So I'm wondering, in this scenario on draft night, the Raptors, or before the draft, whatever, the Raptors send out Norman Powell. Team X is looking at this as like, well, we can get Powell essentially for free. Uh, we don't have to burn our mid-level exception. We'll take the four years and $42 million because we believe in this young play, this young wing player who has shown some offensive creation and some defensive chops, and we believe that in a better, more consistent role, uh, he can be worth the four years, forty-two million. So this is the, that that scenario plays out. Are the Raptors getting anything back other than that salary relief, or is is it possible you land a second-round pick 
for Norman Powell, or is that getting, you know, are your eyes a little too big at that point to unload the salary and get something back? Uh, I think I think if you were going to be, if for example, some team had a couple million in cap space right now, which a good number of teams do, um, and just took Norman Powell without sending back anything, um, I think it'd be tough to get anything beyond something like a protected second rounder, okay. something something worth your while. But uh, I imagine there's a good number of teams who, for example, if they're taking on Norman Powell's nine million dollars next year maybe they've got a five million dollar contract that's expiring or whatever that they aren't particularly interested in keeping around a little bit of dead salary the raptors then due to another quirk they don't have to match that salary because they have two fairly large trade exceptions uh so it's a situation where that five million dollar salary would not really work in a trade for norman powell after July 1st, because he makes $9 million. And they wouldn't really work for Norman Powell before July 1st, because he only makes $1.5 million. But with those trade exceptions, they can kind of grease a trade like that. And I think in a situation like that, where they're taking back a little bit of useless money, they're not shedding quite as much of their tax burden as they were hoping to, but they're shedding a good bit. Maybe you get a decent pick out of that, late first, early second, if, uh, if you're taking back the right sort of, uh, sort of ballast. Um, cool. So, so to explain what Dan's saying, um, if you remember back to the Corey Joseph trade and CJ Miles signing uh, his his mid level exception with the Raptors, those were structured as separate deals. And, and what happened is the Raptors acquired a trade exception for um, Corey, or not acquired a trade exception was created when they sent out Corey Joseph into Indiana's cap space. Same thing happened with Damari Carroll. Uh, they sent him into Brooklyn's cap space, only took back Justin Hamilton. Um, so they have the difference between those two salaries created as a trade exception. Uh, you know, at the time last year, it looked like those might be really big assets just for adding salary. This is before Norman Powell's extension, before Fred Van Vliet took off to the extent that he did. Um, it looked like maybe, hey, the Raptors could take on someone else's Norman Powell and just acquire a free asset with these trade exceptions, basically, or with one of these trade exceptions, rather. But now, as you mentioned, there's a nice tool here where you send out Norman Powell, you're out of $9.4 million next year and four years and $42 million over the over the life of the deal. But you take back, you know, a $5 million contract that's going to sit on the end of your bench or, you know, unlikely given that they don't have a lot of players under contract, but maybe you stretch it like you did uh, Justin Hamilton. And then maybe, like we talked about with the Nicholson example, you can get a pick back because you're also doing that team the favor of taking money back. So, um, you know, this is a pretty specific scenario. Did you have a team or two in mind that you've looked at their cap sheet and thought, you know, maybe maybe that's a fit? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> I didn't. Damn. Uh, probably should have. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, I haven't either. Um, there's got to be someone, but... I spent a lot of time looking at scenarios for where DeRozan and Larry and Valanciunas and Ibaka can land, okay, but not so much next, Powell. So. Powell seems like such a wild card. It just depends yeah. on who wants to take a bet that he's better than he showed this year. Yeah. I still don't really know what – like, I don't like ascribing psychological stuff to player performance because we can't really know. Um, yeah. But Norman Powell having his the worst year of his career in year three – with the level of worker he is, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Unless that hip injury was way worse and lingered on, like there's got to be something, you know, whether his confidence was hurt, whether the role changing all the time got to him. I mean, he ended up playing over a thousand minutes. It was just you never knew where they were coming. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Something's up there. He's better than he showed last year. Yeah, I saw some theories that maybe it was the new system. You know, the old system was very much. Uh, the guards took a lot of the offense on, yeah. and and Norman Powell, 
Yeah, and, and he is a slasher, but also he tended to play off of the primary creators. Uh, and in the, this year, there was a lot more, you know, guys like OG Ananobi and Norm Powell suddenly had the ball in the middle of the possession and had to initiate some offense, mm-hmm. um, which he struggled with a little bit this year. Yeah, and the the finishing dropping off is the most curious thing to me. Is yeah. that like he's never been a strong finisher at the rim, but for it to go in the opposite direction and you know the three point shooting, he just didn't have enough reps for us to really know. You know, he just the threes are such a high variance shot with such a high um, stabilization point that you know he's probably a low mid thirties three point shooter all told, but he's probably also not a twenty five or twenty eight percent three point shooter. Um, yeah. But I think he's better. I think there will be a team that, that bets on Norman Powell. Um, yeah, I think so. I still believe in his game. So why wouldn't one of 29 NBA teams, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so the other guys. Potential landing spots for Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Serge Ibaka, Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, we mentioned these four because the other young players on the team, you know, the, the biggest impetus for the Raptors making a trade, one would be to get better. Um, the young guys, as good as they are, uh, don't carry a lot of salary with them to help you bring in a star. Also, OG Ananobi is the closest thing to a blue-chip prospect in the group, and he didn't make an all-rookie team. He's better than that. He should have made an all-rookie team. But you don't have this, like, no-doubt blue-chip prospect that, you know, you can build a superstar deal around. So Yeah, you certainly don't have the perception of a blue-chip prospect. Yes. So, yes. I wrote about for Uprox at the end of the year that, I think OG Ananobi is very much a blue chip prospect. Yeah. Uh, LeBron James seems to think OG Ananobi is a blue chip prospect. However, but that's not what matters in trades. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless it's LeBron's team. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so we look then. Uh, you know, CJ Miles is a name that could be dealt. He's the mid. The, he's the only middle salary that the Raptors have, and usually those are the most um, kind of malleable when it comes to making trade math work. Uh, but CJ Miles is also the only non-point guard shooting shooter on a team that wants to continue to modernize and shoot a lot of threes. And his deal at this point is still pretty reasonable at $8.3 million this year and a player option for 8.7 the next. Uh, he was a good culture fit. So I don't think they trade CJ Miles unless they, you know, nothing else works out and they just desperately need to get out of the tax. Uh, hey, so, I don't know. Jonas Valanciunas shot like 40% from three this year. I don't know about that only shooter on the team uh, thing. <laughs> The, vol- the volume, though. The volume. Uh, uh, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And I think some of the other guys are going to shoot. Like, like DeLon Wright shot 37% on threes this year. There, there are guys yeah. who aren't non-shooters. But you know what I mean. C.J. Miles is, absolutely. you know, in his words, you, you carry that threat. And that's yeah, something yeah. that no one else says. Um, he's a good fit on and off the court. So we look at Lowry, DeRozan, Ibaka, Valanciunas. Lowry and DeRozan because they could provide financial flexibility and return a different type of of useful player potentially um, to kind of shift how this same core plays. Abaka because you know he's not worth his money, and because if someone Ibaka. would, yeah, if someone would look, Abaka is still a useful player, and by most metrics, is if he's your fourth or fifth starter, and yeah. you know isn't closing every game because of his salary, you know that's that's fine. But he makes twenty two million dollars next year, and played that's a too, lot for an average player. Yeah, and he played too much for what he was, um, maybe not in minutes, but in terms of the specific minutes. Uh, and then Valanciunas, because he might be that middle ground where you can make a basketball trade because he's quite good and then maybe save a little bit of money as well. So um, what is 
you know, what's your favorite or the one you think is most likely of those four to go? And I'm interested to hear your DeRozan for bad salary X and uh, draft pick Y scenarios. <laughs> I do have some scenarios for DeRozan for bad salary and, and uh, draft pick. I bet you do. I bet they're in Memphis and Dallas. <laughs> they are in Memphis and Dallas. Uh, but they're actually – those are my second and third most likely DeRozan deals. I really I really think there's something to this Wiggins thing. Ugh. I, I know. He's really bad. But he could be really good. <laughs> yeah. Look, and man, I, think I, if, I, I think if the Raptors are looking two years down the road, that trade could make sense. Yes. So with Wiggins, I'm a believer in his game still. He's still very young. Um, he puts in the work by all accounts. He maybe doesn't have the, the best camp around him in terms of decision making, but he does work his, his tail off. And he has all the tools. He's flash shooting. He should be a good defender. Um, it's not there yet. The issue with flipping... DeRozan for Wiggins is that Wiggins is a bad version of DeRozan whose deal mm. runs three years longer. Yes. Um, it's, it's a bad contract. So in your DeRozan-Wiggins hypothetical, are the Raptors picking up extra assets? They are. They're getting okay. – I, I, I think my, my scenario that I wrote about was like two, two late firsts or something like that. Okay. Uh, just a, a little bit of extra draft asset to help fill in the back uh, the yeah. back end behind that big salary. Yeah. Um, I think it's also interesting to bring Wiggins in. If you didn't change anything else and you put Wiggins in onto this team that has, I think, a pretty good offensive structure in place, I think whoever they hire is probably going to have a pretty similar offensive approach to what they had this year. Um, A pretty good offensive system in place, a very good veteran point guard in Kyle Lowry, uh, solid pieces around him, energetic youth that can sort of develop with him over the next couple of years. You know, see what he can do, and then you know if he's still terrible two years from now, then you're probably tanking anyway. And uh, you know, what's the harm? Yeah, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, you look at Wiggins' stats; he's a 33% three-point shooter over almost a thousand attempts, so he's got the Rose beat a little bit there. Uh, the playmaking really hasn't come along, and that's the one area where DeRozan really started to make strides around this point. Uh, they're both low use or low turnover guys, given their usage, uh, but Wiggins hasn't really. You know, his assist rate scraped 10% twice and then it dropped off this year uh, as his usage dropped down. He's not a not a terrific rebounder like DeRozan. Um, you know, they average around the same amount because they're both on the floor a lot. And then most of Wiggins' defensive value right now is, you know, he, he gets some steals and a decent amount of blocks as a if he's a small forward. Uh, but, you know, the on-off impact isn't there. He's not nearly as efficient as DeRozan with a, a fairly similar shot mix, largely because um, his ability to get the free throw line fell off a cliff this year. Uh, so, you know, you could see how if you transplant him out of Minnesota where he's fallen to the third option, maybe fourth option if Derrick Rose is on the floor for whatever goddamn reason. Um, <laughs> and then you put him into Rosen's role, but that 30% usage is 23 24% instead. And some of those possessions are being shifted to Lowry, who I think under any coach is going to see a spike in usage rate from his like 20 21% last year. Uh, right. Maybe Valanciunas, maybe some of the other guys. Um, you can see it. I do think the, the extra assets you mentioned picking up are important, though, because... There is much more risk with Wiggins, both in terms of contract and him just not becoming the player that DeRozan is. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a risk. And I think Minnesota's probably pretty eager to get out from under that risk. Uh, so I would think that you'd be able to pull some assets out of that deal. Yeah, maybe. Um, so that's an option. The other ones are what? For Chandler Parsons and the number four or for Wesley Matthews and the number five? 
the Wesley Matthews one is really interesting because that's the one where if you're talking about, you know, you've got this uh, no dominant offensive player offensive system and you want to bring a little bit of a veteran defensive edge into the lineup. Uh, Matthews would be pretty interesting starting at shooting guard. Um, I, I don't think the team is necessarily better, uh, but it would be a, definitely a different look come the playoffs uh, compared to these last couple of years. It also makes $9 million less than DeRozan and is an expiring contract. Oh, uh, yeah, that helps too. Uh, it, yeah, it, it clears up your big tax issue two years from now, and it helps you a lot this this uh, this summer. And, I mean, if DeRozan's the guy you move, then maybe that opens up a little bit more of a role for Powell uh, yeah. on the team and give him a chance to um, sort of find himself and earn that contract. Yeah, or DeLon Wright is, you know, even more off the ball or whatever. You have a lot of guard depth, so... Yeah. Um, Wesley Matthews, interesting case. His three-point percentage ticked back up a little bit this year. He's at 38.1% on over six threes a game, which is right in line with, with his career marks. Um, you know, there really hasn't been – he suffered that bad Achilles injury, uh, but there really hasn't been as big a tail-off in production as you normally expect for guys coming back from Achilles injury. The points per game down a little bit from when he was in Portland, but, but really the three-point shooting, which is the biggest thing he brings, is, is still there. Um, he's still a decent, you know, maybe not secondary, but tertiary playmaker. And, and then the, the defense, you know, the defense is there. We don't, you know, de- defensive box plus minus didn't really like him or hasn't really liked him since he's been in Dallas. But Dallas has been a bit of a mess since then anyway. Yeah. I don't know how much I like box plus minus anyway. <laughs> Neither do I. It's just, you know, it's it's something it's to throw there. out there. To, I, I want to try to quantify, you know. I don't For want sure. it to sound like I watched all 2,100 of West Matthews' minutes in <laughs> Dallas this year because Dallas was among the teams that, other yeah. than, like, trying to get my last hits of Dirk, you know, there wasn't a lot. Uh... Not a lot to watch there. Yeah, so the other you one know what was well, sorry, You know what was really – sorry, a really interesting thing somebody threw at me um, was, hey, what if they included Dwight Powell uh, yeah. coming back? I just don't know where he I like Dwight Powell a lot. So do I. I don't, I don't know where he plays, though, when you have Valanciunas, Pirtle, Siakam, Ananobi, and Ibaka, ostensibly. Unless think, Dallas wants think, Ibaka, too. I don't think they want Ibaka. But maybe maybe Ibaka just sort of goes away somehow. You yeah. find you find someone. You trade him to the Knicks for Noah and a pick or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I like Powell in general. Uh, I think he's probably a little overpaid on that deal he got last year, but he's, uh, you know, he's interesting. I'd, uh, I don't know. He grades really nicely for being on a bad team, so I don't know. I, I think it'd be worth a look. He, he fits nicely with the with with what Ibaka is supposed to be doing uh, yeah. for the team. Yeah, and you know, it never hurts to get another Canadian in. Yeah, yeah. Some someone's got to do those really bad commercials. That's right. Uh, so the other one would be Chandler Parsons in the number four pick. Um, Chandler Parsons has not bounced back nearly as well as Wesley <laughs> Matthews. He's played seventy games combined over the last two years. Averaged barely seven points a game. Uh, the one thing he did do well this year, he shot, he hit 42.1% of his threes. But we're talking a pretty small volume uh, because he only played 36 games and averaged fewer than 20 minutes. He is somehow only 29 still, even though he has sure. the the knees of like a 40 year old, I guess at this point. Um, you know, he is he is not as interesting a piece to add to this group as Wesley Matthews, even if you project a bit of a bounce back. Um, oh, some of yeah. that, some of that, you know, attack a closeout and make the right pass from from his time in Houston. But he didn't really show that a ton in Dallas anyway, and it definitely wasn't there in Memphis. So, um, 
Yeah. yeah. I think if the Raptors trade for Parsons, they should be writing him off as not a contributor. Yeah. Dead salary. Maybe he contributes a bit, but you can't count on it, so yeah. dead salary. I think if you make the trade for for Parsons, you're filling in that extra spot that he would play in with Powell or maybe the draft pick that you make. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, I think sorry. Memphis might really want DeRozan. Like, yeah. the, I think Memphis thinks that they're a good team that happened into the fourth pick this year. They have Conley and Gasol. Exactly. That's, but, uh, that's they're almost it. in a situation like where, where like Toronto, where like you can't really yeah. trade both of those guys. You may as well try to compete. Sure. Uh, but they're also in the West, so. I know, but I mean, like, I think they think they're a playoff team in the West. I think that they think they can get there if Conley's healthy and if they make a move. So I think they're what they're ripe for Dallas. I'm not sure about Dallas. Seems yeah. like they'd want to get better quick, but who knows with them? Memphis yeah, the seems other... like they already think they're good, and that a DeRozan trade makes a lot of sense. In terms so, of grind, a grind-out offense guy, like so. Uh, here's the thing: the- Parsons makes six million more than Wesley Matthews, and he also has an extra year of twenty-five million on his deal. Yep. So you're getting Matthews is a better and more a better piece and a, a better fit. You know, I don't think the gap between Matthews and Parsons is a is enough to just bump from the number five pick to the number four pick. Um, so say these were both there as options. Uh, what else is are, are you asking Memphis for? Are, you, are we throwing another Canadian in a deal here? <laughs> oh, I doubt they give up. Uh... Oh, so do I. He he fits so perfectly with everything Memphis is. I'm very excited to to see. I'm a, I'm going to the uh, there's a game in uh, in Ottawa. One July of these. 2nd, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to that game, and I'm very excited to watch uh, him and a bunch of the other awesome. young Canadians. I'm very excited. Yeah. Um, I'm going to the uh, I'm going to the June one here. So nice. Yeah. Uh, I think what I'd be asking for, I don't think they give up that much, but I would be asking, I think they have the 32nd pick as well. Okay. So I think if you can get a really high second round pick, which I think with Messiah Jury is like gold, it's like here you can have essentially a first round pick and you don't have to give them a rookie scale salary. I feel like there's a, there's a very high return on value with Messiah yeah. Jury making an early second round pick. Um, this doesn't have a lot else that's super interesting. Um, no. Deontay Davis, I guess. Uh, um, they pa- like they you, passed on him a couple of times. Yeah, with, with Pirtle and Siakam. Yeah. Um, and you really want to try to develop another big, like Ivan Rab, like same, same kind of thing. Mm. Um, I, I do like Wayne Selden. But, you know, where does he play? Again, a lot of these guys are also young guys that have been pr- pretty good yeah. for Memphis, and I feel like they want to hold on to guys that they think are good. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think because I, I like the Matthews scenario so much better than the Parsons one. I'm trying to I think, too. you know. And in the scenario where both are on the table, then that's a good – I doubt both are going to be on the table. I think yeah. that you're lucky if one of them is on the table. Yeah. Uh, and you take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, I mentioned off the top that obviously trading DeRozan brings with it a bunch of uh, complications because of what he's meant to the franchise. Um, you know, at some point I'm going to write a column about the idea because I have conflicted feelings on it. Yeah. Um, I like DeRozan a lot as a person and a player and a face of the franchise, and he's meant so much here. Um, the one thing that I think you have to – and look, this is not how in a vacuum you should evaluate trades, and it's not how – as a general all-encompassing rule, you have to approach things. But I think when it comes to DeRozan, if you were to trade him somewhere, um, I do think it's important that DeRozan be okay with it. Um, and I know that that runs 
kind of counter to how I talk about these things sometimes and how I analyze things. And I know you probably don't, you know, we're talking analytically and, and kind of coldly about the, the wrinkles here. Um, I do think it's important to do right by DeRozan if you do trade him. Oh, I, no, I'm with you on that. And I think, I think that sort of, I think that sort of falls, it kind of takes care of itself to some degree. I think the teams that would want to trade for DeRozan at least believe they're going to be a competitive team, which would be the main concern with DeMar, is that he probably doesn't want to go somewhere and lose a whole bunch. Of so, you know, you want to put, put him in a position to win. Um, and I think I think any team calling for his services is probably going to be that sort of team. So I think to some extent it sort of takes care of itself. But also, hey, it'd be real nice if you could send him to L.A. or something. I mean, that would be kind of a feel-good story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. If L.A. That. strikes out on their big free agents and you are uh, suddenly decide that you want to shed salary, they're one of the few teams that can actually help you out with that. So. Okay, uh, we gotta we're pushing an hour here, so we yeah, gotta let's move along. Um, Lowry, Ibaka, Valanciunas, what are your what are your quick ideas there? And I feel bad that we spent so much time on DeRozan, but he's the guy who's going to bring you the biggest return, so it makes yeah. the most sense that we focus there. Um, any any landing spots for Ibaka, Valanciunas, or Lowry jump out to you? Uh, yeah, yeah, and one last thing with Demar. The only reason that he's really the obvious piece to move is just he's so symptomatic of the issues they've had yeah. the last couple of years in the playoffs. And also, he's good. He is good. He can bring you a return. He can bring you value, which the other guys, I don't know that they can. Uh, Larry seems like a guy who would be really good on almost every team, and almost no teams will want him because of his high salary and his somewhat prickly demeanor um, and history. But uh, one scenario that I cooked up was if LeBron or some other big name, but especially LeBron, goes to Philly, and they're suddenly under pressure to have a whole bunch of really good players around him, um, Larry seems like a guy that would fit great in that situation as an off the ball, low minutes, Simmons and LeBron run the offense. He just spots up and shoots as a dead eye shooter, brings a little bit of veteran presence on defense, uh, would fit really extreme, well there. He could just play the extremely good Mo Williams role. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the, the role that when LeBron has someone even slightly good at it, he always wins a championship. Yes. Yeah, that one. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I think the the sort of package you'd get back from them might be if they're looking to sell faults after his disastrous first year, you know, get some return on him and then a couple of, you know, contracts like maybe Covington or yeah, give me Covington. Yes, I'd be. I'm a big fan of Covington as a role player, Um, but he's he's also just one of those contracts that fits in a big money trade. So I suspect that he'd be one of the pieces to move out, even though he's on a great deal after this uh, after this year. Yeah. Um, okay, Abaka and Valanciunas. Abaka's not landing anywhere, right? Like the, the, the only, only one, I, the only sorry, one I came up with was the one I mentioned earlier. Was hey, the Knicks probably think they're good. Yeah. Let's give them to let's give them to them. Take on Noah, who or, who makes a little bit less for the same amount of uh, same uh, length of contract and get back a pick or something. Plus, uh, I would but, I would love having Yogi Noah around just to talk to. Just for, yeah, for my own purposes. Bench guy. Yeah, um, that'd be terrific. Uh, he is one of the most interesting people uh, going. Uh, one thing that I I kicked it around a bunch with Ibaka, and it's not doable because of the 2020-2021 contract and because he makes more now, so you'd have to also shed salary elsewhere. But um, when I was looking at potential like 
teams that would want to kind of just do a challenge, like bad salary for bad salary trade, like I still think I'd take on Nick Batum's bad contract if everything else worked out. Mm. Um, but it's so much extra money. That's an interesting one. Yeah, he because he's still good. He's going to bounce back from last year. But he's owed like $27 million in 2020-2021 when the yeah. Raptors will otherwise have a pretty clean cap sheet. And it's just... I don't now, think it's it depends. Yeah, maybe they're aiming for 2020, and maybe they're aiming for 2021 when Giannis yeah. is free agent. <laughs> yeah, I mean... So they could they could do it if they want to wait a year. The thing about yeah. that 2020 is that that's the year where all their all their rookie scale contracts come up. Yeah, uh, so Pirtle, you might not have cap space in 2021 anyway. Pirtle and, uh, and Siakam both... Uh, are free agents that year. Yes. So and Malachi Richardson. So yes. So yeah. Set aside his cap hold. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, there's a, there's almost no way they're picking up their even fourth year option on Malachi Richardson. So yeah, that'll be that, that's this summer. They also make that call. That'll, yeah, I'll, by October 31st. Um, I suspect they don't pick it up. <laughs> he's not. He's not. He, I, I find the. I think the experiment is interesting to see if you can turn someone else's bad piece into something. Um, and from everything I've gathered, he's a good kid and he works hard, uh, but he has shown nothing at the NBA or G League level yet. Yeah, and so. considering they're staring at like already a $22 million tax bill in 1920, yeah. I don't think they're going to want to be paying him $2.5 million when they could yeah. sign somebody for a million less. Um, anyway, he's not going anywhere <laughs> because that salary is just a little above the minimum this year. <laughs> yeah. He's um, just going to sit there. Yeah. Uh, the 905 needs someone to... to He's going to be 15, the 20 shots. he's going to be the fifteenth man, no matter how many guys are on the roster. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and, and then I guess JV quickly. No idea. No I, idea. I don't I know don't... what team would want him. I don't know. Like he's great. He's really good. But yeah. the the reality of the market for bigs is just befuddling to me. Uh, I have no idea what people are valued at. So it's a weird I, thing. There's this there's this very tiny band with bigs where any your performance relative to contract anywhere before it and you're completely untradeable and if you pass a certain line um you can't like you're too valuable to be traded yeah. and there and the gap between them is so narrow where you're actually a tradable big where the team would be okay trading you and the team would want to take you on is so narrow that you know Valanciunas is a case where I wouldn't salary dump him like they were you know potentially talking about last summer um Damn. he's a guy I'd only want to send out in an actual basketball trade because he's good yeah, but the thing is, I don't know, do you, where do you find a basketball trade? Where do you find a team yeah, that wants no. to trade a shooting power forward for a center? It does, it, there's not a lot know. of those happening. <laughs> so yeah, I, don't, I, don't I, don't, I don't see a spot for him. Yeah, but that's okay because he's good. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so in general, um, the guy you think is uh, least likely to be back from kind of the core 11-man rotation last year. The single guy that's least likely, I would say probably Powell. Okay, I'm with you. But there's a, I think it's pretty flat, though. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. I don't think uh, there's anybody that's a standout. Because it could be Powell, it could be Van Vliet if the money goes wrong, it could be DeRozan if they find a really good deal for him. I think those are the three. Those are the big three that might come, might not come back. All right, and then just quickly, I wanted to talk about this, but we're, we've gone pretty long here. Uh, if the Raptors, say the Raptors shed, it doesn't have to be this, but... They shed Norman Powell. Fred VanVleet signs at a semi-reasonable deal. They're looking at a tax bill, but they think, okay, maybe maybe we use the mini tax mid-level. Um, you know, they're not going to be hard cap, so uh, they, but they probably, you know, you probably don't want to use the the full and hard cap yourself. 
Uh, oh, they, so say, they they couldn't. No, they'd be they'd be over the herd cap if they did. Right. So. Uh, yeah. I just I hadn't I didn't have the number in front of me, so I don't want to say yeah, for yeah. sure. So so um, young Lord Powell, you signed Van Vliet to a reasonable deal. You're looking at a 5.2 tax mid level um, to fortify. You know, maybe they don't do that because of their tax bill. But if they do, uh, are there targets out there that you like? Is there a last year CJ Miles, the the sexy blogger signing to go with the mm. uh, sexy blogger pick of OG Ananobi? Is there <laughs> is there a, that guy out there? Uh, I don't know that there is. Uh, I think they'd probably be best like if if they were going to spend five million on whoever doesn't get signed by the twenty teams that have the full mid level. Uh, I imagine they'd be better off shelling out the extra four million and just keeping Norman Powell and seeing if he's good. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't have any anybody in my sights. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I also haven't looked at it in that much detail yet. So. Uh, I remember last year I did that exercise though, and I was like, I went through all these names, and then kind of at the end I was like, yeah, and like your best case scenario is like maybe CJ Miles's market <laughs> ends up being in that range, and then yep. he was the guy, and I was like, all right, cool. Um, so I'll do that again. I'll try to throw out a player who's better than that dollar amount, um, and who, who might just be sitting there. We'll, we'll witchcraft our speak it into existence. Yeah, yeah, it worked last year. Yeah, speaking of which, um, we're not going to talk about the speak it into existence scenario of LeBron coming to Toronto. Uh, no. Your tweet, your tweet thread was literally all anyone needs to <laughs> consider about that because it's a dumb thing. It is a dumb thing. That's why I started out with, uh, if LeBron actually wanted to come to Toronto, LOL, not happening. But if, and then I go off on a stupid tangent. Yeah, um, yeah. Every Look, there are 30 teams in the NBA who have... Uh, a little folder that says LeBron just called and said he wants to come here. How do we make it happen? Every yep. team has that scenario laid out. Um, it's just not – they're never going to have to open that folder. No. Uh, okay, Dan, before I let you go, man, anything else you want to uh, mention about the potential offseason or anything you want to plug or anything like that? Uh, not really. Uh, I don't really have anything else uh, I've been writing. So you can always find me on Twitter or Raptors HQ when I am doing something. But for now, I'm uh, not doing much. And then once the moves start going, we'll be doing our annual race to see who gets the cap update uh, posted first. It's like, yep. okay, we did our analysis of the actual move. Now we need to update those little screenshots of our Excel sheets. That's right. Um, yeah, so um, look forward to that. Uh, yeah, the uh, – man, it always – so Summer League summer league always gets in the way. Like, it's happened two years in a row now where, like, when I go to Summer League, I don't really plan anything. I just, like, I'm going to work and that's pretty much it. Uh, but two years in a row, the one thing that I planned to do, like socially, something came down both times. It was Sullinger and then Carol. Um, <laughs> both had, and Sullinger happened early in the day, but I was like, gonna go for lunch and like not go to the arena that day and like have a pool day. And well, then Sullinger happened. And then the Damari Carol thing was like at night. I was like, gonna go for a late dinner with some friends. <laughs> and that's like, oh, I, you know, Messiah and Billy King are just hanging out this entire day. What's going on here? And then as I get back to my hotel, oh, yep. shit. So um, I'll be able to tell you ahead of time what day things are going to happen on it. It'll be Good. the one yeah. day I plan something at Vegas. Make a, make a plan and then let us know. Yeah, it'll be – I haven't looked, but Blink-182 <laughs> Blink has like a, like a residency in Vegas right now. So if that happens during Summer League, that'll be the night that all the Raptors stuff goes down because I'll be off computer. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, man. Um, I guess I guess that's it. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, happy birthday uh, a couple days ahead of time. Yeah, thanks. Um, man, thanks so much for doing this. We'll, yeah, thanks sure, for having me on. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. And everyone follow Dan at dhackett5065. Uh, follow his work at Raptors HQ, um, but only his work at Raptors HQ. <laughs> 
Uh, nobody else. Um, uh, okay, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. All right, see ya. Available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.